It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the late weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each week, usually midweek, we uh, look at sports topics locally, some nationally. We have a betting segment. Uh, we usually have an Ask Skinny Anything segment, but of course, this is such a wacky week with Thanksgiving that we've pushed the podcast to a Friday morning. It did allow us, though, to have a couple of college basketball games under our belt, a belt that has probably been loosened a notch or so after yesterday. How did Thanksgiving treat you, Rick? Oh, it was excellent. Uh, I'm very blessed in the chef department. I've got the best around me, so... I, I, I saw a picture of the of the bird at, uh, in your your homestead going in the oven. It looked pretty good. We did believe it or not. We did turkey legs this year. We went to Tuis, and each person had an individual turkey leg. And let me tell you, Tuis does not cheat you on the turkey legs. Nobody could finish their individual turkey leg, myself included. They were huge. <laughs> How was it? Good. Fabulous. Yeah, it was really good. Do they just, smoke that or what's what's we, the deal? A little bit. We we added a little liquid smoke to the outside of it too, and then charred up a little bit of the skin. I thought it was I thought it was excellent. I'm not mm. usually a dark meat guy, which obviously um, you know, legs are. I'm usually a white meat if you're gonna go with the real turkey, but I thought it was superb. Wow. And very I, very I, COVID safe of you too. Yes, how about that? And we only had my uh my my daughter and her husband her recently she got recently got married, so we had those two over and they she helped cook and he sat on the couch with me watching football. So it was very much a uh, an old school men doing nothing kind of a day. <laughs> Good deal. It, I mean that's that's the way the holiday is meant to be spent, in my opinion. All right. Before we get to the sports topics, though, our good friend Chad Brendel, I know I saw you clap at him a little bit. He was he was not all in on the stuffing conversation, correct? Well, so he's done this before. I didn't get out of it this year, but I know I've refuted it before. Yeah, he doesn't like stuffing. And that's fine. Yeah, but I mean, this is it's crazy to me. He said he's his argument is if it was so good, we would eat it more throughout the year. Right. I saw that. Um, so let, let me refute that for a minute. I think there's twofold to that. I think one, if you make stuffing properly, there is some work involved. Like my daughter who loves, my oldest daughter loves to cook. And so she um, took some celery, onion, and a couple of other herbs and spices. She sautés that together. She chops up the breadcrumbs, you know, herself, puts it together, and then she puts all that stuff together. And it's excellent. But there's some, there's, it probably takes her an hour, hour and a half worth of prep time, which around the holidays, I think you're willing to do. You're willing to put in that extra mile if you're cooking something around the holidays. On a normal night where she's a high school golf coach, she works a 10-hour-a-day a job, she's got a new house that she's trying to do, she ain't got time for that stuff. I mean, so I get that maybe some people only have it once a year. Look, I, I would tell you, when we had everybody in the house and we're pretty much empty nesters at this stage, um, you know, if we had a pork dish, we'd have some stovetop stuffing it wasn't the stuffing you have around the holidays but i eat stuffing more than once a year it's just the prep time is it's a little too much for a normal regular meal right yeah i think that's the biggest reason people don't have it other times of the year the second is i mean what the name implies it is it, it started as you know stuffing it came In, out from inside a, the bird inside right. a bird so there's a reason it's centered around that holiday i said last night while we were at dinner like it's crazy that we don't eat it more often now, i'm not saying you would make it for a normal weeknight dinner but like if you're having a Christmas dinner, like if people do hands yes. or, or a prime yes. rib or something, why wouldn't you throw stuffing in Absolutely. the other side? It seems seems illogical to me. His take on stuffing is terrible. I love it. It's probably my favorite uh, part of Thanksgiving. I, I'm with you. I just think the prep time is just a lot on a normal meal circumstance. And I will tell you, it's really not the healthiest, healthy, healthiest thing to eat no. on a regular basis. It's it's breadcrumbs with crap all over it. Yeah, yeah. That's the other part is it is just just terrible food. Um, what what is what's your number one? Dish. I'd say mine would actually probably be mashed potatoes and gravy, then stuffing, but no, I'm, I'm top two. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a mix. In fact, last night, 
she made uh, she made some of these she makes some really seasoned green beans that are fabulous. So it was green beans, uh, mashed potatoes, uh, stuffing, the turkey leg, and then um, my youngest daughter didn't I can't remember she doesn't like one of those dishes maybe it's the green beans so she ended up having a little bit of macaroni on the side so that was pretty much us no no we're not a cranberry sauce family no candied yams nah I know people that are in on candied yams man they are all in on candied yams I'm I'm not one of them what is that like sweet potatoes like the sweet sweet potatoes are you no, talking no no they are they're, yams they're, different I don't yeah yams are different yeah okay uh, yeah, yeah no I don't know what you. that is no thank you yeah uh, yeah, it was it was all good. That was a uh, talking yep. food with the skinny podcast. It was there, sorry about know. that. It was more like I mean, a fat I mean, podcast today. That's right. Thank, I mean, Thanksgiving's part of that, though. Correct. Got to love that's it. That's what it's all yeah. about. All right. We got a lot of sports to get to hit it off. Rick. We do. And then skinny. It, honestly, everything finally felt right. It felt normal. It felt good again on Wednesday as the college basketball season got underway. And most of the local teams have already played their first games. As we record this on Friday morning, Xavier is 2-0 and will have played a third game against Toledo by the time you're likely listening to this. UK is 1-0 with an 81-45 win over Moorhead State. NKU is 1-0 after a thrilling 74-73 win over Ball State. And Miami beat North Dakota 81-67 at Millette Hall. Cincinnati's the only team locally who hasn't played yet. The Bearcats will tip off their season on Wednesday against Lipscomb. My question for you, Skinny, is I just want to know what's one takeaway you had from your first impression of the local college basketball teams? Well, I didn't watch much of Miami, and we don't talk much Miami on this podcast, the college basketball podcast. Sorry, Jed. Um, we don't. But I, I will say for the others that we normally talk about, I think it's going to be fun to continue to watch them evolve because there's just a lot of really interesting moving parts. I saw a lot of good things from Kentucky, but I also saw some things where I'm like, All right, I need to see more of Olivier Saar when he plays against goods bigs and they don't play a zone. Um, for Xavier uh, game one was was really eye-opening because usually Oakland's competitive and when they boat raced them like that I, and I didn't think Oakland was very good but I'm watching Xavier make shots I'm watching a free flow and offense and then I watched the rock fight was the second game and I watched the freshman make a freshman mistake and then I watched a fresh the same freshman made the same freshman mistake make a superb play because he's a superb athlete and I think he's going to just continue to get better and better end up winning the game for them uh, for NKU I certainly listened to a chunk of that and and they got all kinds of contributions from from different guys including some new guys and, and Mason Faulkner is a dude although one of the tweets I saw during the game was he got hurt. It was an oh my god moment. It looked like, but uh, I guess yeah, that's just good. cramps. Fortunately, yeah, which is like. good. Yeah, Trayvon, so, uh, no. by the way, Trayvon. Yeah, Trayvon. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. I get all my fuckers. Yes, <laughs> it Faulkner. gets tricky there. They've yes, both been there. Yes, yes, it does. Um, but no, I think it's gonna be fun to watch all of them evolve, and I'm looking forward to watching UC evolve when they play next week. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, like you said, we knew going in that there were so many question marks about these teams, and it kind of already played out that way when you when you watched them. Um, and obviously these opening games it can be tough to tell sometimes what's going on. But, you know, the Bradley game for Xavier, it's like that's that's not a good look. It was ugly. Again, obviously you can't get over 60 when you've been preaching this offense and uh, more free-flowing and better shooting and everything. I think what you saw there was the importance of getting some consistency out of Kiki Tandy, though. You know, I mean, the, the day before he hit six threes, you look great. And obviously it was a lot of that had to do with Oakland being terrible, but your offense flowed a lot easier. He was able to stay on the court and play some minutes against Bradley. He can't make any shots. And all of a sudden his terrible defense is getting exposed. He's he's giving up pick sixes at the top of the key for runouts for the other team. And it's like. They couldn't even put him on the court in the second half. Right. It's like you need Kiki Tandy to be on the court, especially if your offense is struggling. So he has to find a way to offer them more than just those nights where he's hot because he's a very streaky shooter. There are going to be nights like yesterday where he can't get a shot to go down. 
Well, you can't have a night, and, and Paul Scruggs didn't shoot it very well either game either. Yeah, he's been um, ice cold to start. He's two for 14 from three so far. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You can't have both of those guys do that in the same game like they both did against Bradley. And, and, and Nate Johnson obviously had, had a big three out of the corner uh, late uh, against the zone. So he gives you a, an, an, another shooter, which but is nice. But he was cold against yes, Bradley yes, to start yes. before that, yeah. But but you can't have both Kiki and, and, and Paul Scruggs be cold in, in the same game. I will say I – Zach Freeman looks like he's going to be a dude, man. Oh, yeah. I know that's probably not a hot take and I don't mean it to be, but he just looks like I'm telling you, he gets himself spotted up from six feet, eight feet, 12 feet, 20 feet, staring the basket down. I feel good about that shot going in. He's just got a lot of skill set to him, man. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like the lineup rotation. I like Kiki coming off the bench because it gives you a score to come in the game as opposed to trying to play, you know, your best scores all at once. But if you're going to put him in that role, I guess it's the whole Vinnie Johnson from the Detroit Pistons days, the old microwave. He can certainly heat it up, and there are games where he's just not going to have it, and you better get him out and call it a day. Absolutely. You know, my takeaway, kind of along the same lines as yours, is just the amount of talented freshmen that we have locally this year is going to be really fun to watch. And, I mean, that's without being able to see Colby Jones and C.J. Wiltshire yet for Xavier, who are out due to the uh, contact tracing protocol. And Gabe Madsen and Mike Saunders haven't played yet for UC, which I, we're hearing good things about them. If you listen to what Coach Brandon has been saying to reporters, so I mean, like that NKU game the other night, that was impressive to watch. You had a freshman from Lexington, Marquez Warwick, start the game at the two guard and go for 14 points in the first half, um, and then Trayvon Falker, you mentioned he goes down in the second half, and uh, Warwick struggled to shoot the ball in the second half, but the coaching staff had enough confidence to basically give him the ball and say, we're running everything through you, freshman. Like, let's go. You're the guy. And and he has some shake to his game. He can shoot it from deep. He can get to the rim. Then they've got a 6'7 wing who is playing the two-guard and Trey Robinson from Hamilton, a local kid. Yep. That, I mean, he really has a skill set at his size that you just do not see in the horizon. League. Yeah, he it's funny. I, like I, a point guard. I used a picture um, to put on our website to go with the, the short game story that, that AP moved. And it was, uh, it was from their website, which we're allowed to use, but it was him in the lanes. I, I, I didn't know who it was. I had to go to the roster to double check, you know, the number to make sure I wrote the cut line properly. I went, Whoa, that's Trey Robinson. Holy cow. He got up off the floor on that one. I mean, was like, I don't know if you saw the picture or not. He's way above the whole crowd in the lane. I'm like, man, he's longer than I thought. Yeah. He's athletic. He's he's six, seven, but he really can handle the ball like a point guard. He's coming off ball screens. And at that size with his length and athleticism, I mean, he has passing lanes and can make passes over top and, and around guys that most guards can't make just because they can't, you know, that the, the length in between hit them and who they're trying to throw the ball to is, is too much for him to get it there. So uh, I, I'm really interested. And even David Bam, the, the freshman from the Czech Republic who struggled a little bit, he got overwhelmed. He came in, took a bad three that was guarded off the dribble. So he got yelled at. Then he didn't take a wide open one, a possession later, and he got yelled at. So I think he got a little uh, sped up there early on and kind of out over his skis, but I, I, they're really high on him and his skill level too. So And the, the thing I like is, is, is NKU playing a Mac school. Look, I don't like ball States probably middle of the pack of the Mac. Right. But yeah. still, I, I like that. But they were good. They're solid last year. Yeah, no, I, I like that opener more than I like the kind of, and I know this is a different year, obviously, because most times you are trying to ease into your schedule, but I kind of like that more than playing a, a Midway or a Wilberforce or, or somebody like that, the feel-good win. I, I, I kind of like them getting challenged right off the bat. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, that that win, if you told me all the things that went wrong in the second half of that game, like Trayvon Faulkner going out, the offense going ice cold, Warwick going from scoring 14 in the first half to be not scoring for basically 18 minutes of the second half, you I would have, oh, okay, they lost by 15 to 20. 
And they found a way to gut out a win like that, relying on younger guys. And you got to mention Adrian Nelson, the junior big man. He goes for 19 19 rebounds. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, But yeah, I mean, on the Xavier side, then Dwan Odom, you talked about his plays too. I mean, he's going to be a special freshman. I don't know that Xavier's had any athletes like him before. I mean, Des Wells is probably the closest thing they've had in terms of a freak athlete to Dwan Odom. That, that OOP caught as a six foot point guard. Oh my. Yeah, I, I, the comparison, I know. I, I don't even know who the analyst was, and shame on me, whoever the TV analyst was, but made the comparison to Eric Bledsoe. Did you like that? Oh, that you know what? That's pretty good. Um, Bledsoe's more of a shooter and scorer than, uh, than Odom is. Odom's more of a set you up, get in the lane, make some plays type of guy. He can score a little bit, but it's more like mid-range floaters. And, and, and he was like talking that. mostly body-type athleticism. Yeah. And, that, and that's great. That's why the comparison works, because both of them are special athletes in, in a 6-1 package and, um, you know, just springs. I mean, really, it's it's incredible to watch Odom leap and and jet past people. Like when they switch a screen, and it may only be like a six four, six five athletic wing on him. That difference sometimes is enough, and he goes right by that guy well, into the lane. That's the part that I really now. I I texted you during the game yesterday. I thought there was one time where he should have should have caught or should have shot a catch and shoot three off of a kick out, and, and he ended up ball faking and driving downhill. For the most part, though, I love how he gets downhill, and that's where. I don't think Paul Scruggs, we're going to be talking about his shooting woes the whole season. Now, we've, we've talked about players in the past like that in January. We're still talking about them. I don't think we are because I think this guy is going to create those opportunities for, for, for him. I think he's also going to create some opportunities for Fremantle to step at the top of the key like, yeah. like you saw him do it. I, I just think he changes the dynamic, and this is going to sound awful, in a way that Quentin Gooden we always thought should have and never really did. Well, and the other part of that is, one, the open post is a great look because you have a guy like Fremantle who can do that and, and face you up and stretch you. So not clogging the lane really helps open some driving lanes. Sure. And then the other part is just having multiple guys on the court who are a threat to shoot the three, even against Bradley, who was packing it in more, playing a disciplined defense and, and letting Xavier shoot a little bit more. I, I, and I want to say that, listen, Bradley's pretty good. Yeah, they look good. They did. I mean, they were, defensively, they were tough. Now, offensively, they, you know, I don't think they're going to set any but records or anything, that, but defensively, they make you work. But that's how they win games. They win games. If you look back the last oh, couple yeah. of years in the Valley Tournament, they're winning games 53 49. That's how they're winning. Yeah. And they have legit size, is the thing. I mean, they had right. two shot blockers that were, that were, you know, high major type bodies. So that's, that's why they, they matched up pretty well with Xavier, a Xavier team who wasn't shooting the ball well. But even in that game, it was a rock fight in terms of the score, but a lot of that had to do with the pace and Bradley doing what they did defensively. Sure. It didn't mean Xavier bogged the offense down, got in the half court, pounded it inside to, to a big man every play and, and was just swinging around, draining the shot clock. They were still trying to push the ball. They were still shooting threes. Yeah, they were just not making. Getting, yeah, they were still getting open driving lanes for Paul Scruggs and for Dwan Odom, and they were trying to make plays. And honestly, the thing that really stood out to me, as bad as they shot it from three, after dinner last night, I went back, I watched every offensive possession, and I was struck by how terrible they were finishing around the basket. They had so many easy ones that they just couldn't put down. They only shot like 34% or something from the field overall in the day, and that's not just three-pointers. That's a lot of misses inside, too. So um, plenty to clean up for Xavier after their their first uh, few games here. We'll see what they look like today after we record this. And then UK, you know, I mentioned the freshmen. Obviously, you got to mention those freshmen for you say or for UK. Terrence Clark and uh, BJ Boston look unreal. But I want to ask you: Are you surprised that Devin Askew kind of was the clear front runner for the point guard minutes? I, I thought there would be more competition between him and Davey him and Mintz. Mintz. Yeah, but but Mintz, I think you can play them together because Mintz shoots it so well. 
Yeah, you can. And I, they did that a little bit, right? You're right. I didn't yeah. get to watch much of that. because Yeah, I, I watched a little. I, watched, I was work, doing some work too, but I had it on the background. I, I think that's the part for me is I, I think you can maybe play those two guys. The, the thing that struck me is, is I, this team wants to attack, man. And I, I think that's you're not playing through guys in the post. You, you know, you don't have that difference maker inside. Sar, I think can be, cause it was hard. It's hard when, you know, teams play in zone, you can get him some touches, but you're not, you know, you're, you're obviously running a different, different offense for, for goodness sakes. So it was really hard to tell, um, you know, will Sar make a difference down the road? I think he certainly will. But I also think if teams play them, man, um, you got a lot of downhill dudes and, and you got a couple guys. I think the thing for ask you is as a point guard, and we've seen a lot of Kentucky point guards who can't shoot it. He can certainly shoot it, and Mintz can definitely shoot it. So if, if something goes wrong with Askew, I think you've got a definitive, nice backup plan in Mintz. And I think you can at times, maybe with the game on the line or depending on who you're playing, play those two guys together and play Clark and play Boston. Because while Boston's kind of a guard, he's you know he's really a 6'7 wing, so you can right. go two slash three, however you want to do it. He's a good rebounder. He's a willing rebounder. I think he's had seven rebounds in the game. So he'll go get you some off the glass, and you play one big with him. Um, that's a pretty good look at the end of ball games. Give me, give me that look. I'm, I'm going to take it. I thought the thing that was really good. I know Cal addressed this and I'm just looking at it from a coaching perspective myself. I thought they were really good defensively. And yes, I know it's Moorhead. So I, we, we always have to give the caveat. Cause somebody, oh, it's just Moorhead state. Yes, I do know that it's Moorhead state, but I thought their communication was good. I thought their rotations were good. They don't have a lot of shot blockers on the back end. So it's not like this is a team that can, can allow, guys to go around and go, Hey, he'll clean it up for us. Uh, Anthony's back there. He'll clean it up for us. You really don't have that on a consistent. You got a couple guys, SARS long, Isaiah Jackson's long, but for the most part, I thought they were really fundamentally sound defensively and, and did a good job. Now I want to see that against a better team next week, but it was, I thought it was a good start. Right. And you can see sometimes aside from just the level of competition, you can see things like the communication, like the, Hey, they're picking up on the rotations. They understand they're cohesive as a unit. Those things you can pick up even when it's bad competition. Sometimes just the buy-in and the effort matters too. Yeah, no. And I thought that you had all of that. I thought that was, that was pretty impressive. Um, yeah, like I said, I you know we're, you're going to see it. You know, their schedule in December is a pretty good schedule, so we're going to see where this team's at before they head in the SEC. But I thought that was a that was about as good a start as you could have because you've seen a lot of Coach Cal teams, right? Even really good teams. That opening game for them sometimes is a five ring circus, yeah, because they just they're they're not on the same page. You got a bunch of kids, and um, you know that that to me was the difference. I mean, remember the Miami, the great Charlie Coles? They're the big blue. I mean, <laughs> they went down there and they, they almost beat the John Wall Kentucky team, right? Right. I mean, so we've seen this before, and, and that's why I thought that was an impressive start well that conversation was therapeutic that felt good to get that back out <laughs> well it was good it was good because we saw back. yeah yeah I, I will tell you and and for me and i'm not as much of a hoop junkie college wise as you are and especially some of it's i'm coaching seven days a week usually so i don't get a chance to watch as much as i i do but it almost felt like overload like i'm getting bombarded like uh, i want to switch to that game and oh wait a minute oh i want to see miles mcbride in west virginia there's that game and i'm like at one point i thought just leave a game on stupid for goodness sakes yeah, and uh, Sean McNeil, too, started Sean for West McNeil. Virginia, right? Yep, that's, yep. That's pretty yep. cool. Yeah, it is. All right, let's switch gears here. The University of Cincinnati football team earned its highest ever college football playoff ranking Tuesday, coming in at number seven in the initial poll of the 2020 season. UC climbed as high as number 17 in the 2019 CFP ranks before closing the season in the polls for the first time at number 21. The Bearcats' ranking is the highest ever in the CFP for a team outside of the Power Five conferences, topping UCF's number eight ranking in 2018. Skinny, did the CFP committee get it right? What did you think of the Bearcats' number seven ranking? Uh, I don't think they got it right. Now, I will say my guy, Chad Brendel, talked me off the ledge a little bit. I mean, imagine me going to bat for UC the way I have. Because I, I just I, I believe in fairness, and I just think this is so wholly unfair because you're trying to 
make sure that, that the power, the power five is going to get two in um, the seven rankings good because it at least puts you in the conversation and you're at least in a spot where if some wacky things happen, you have a chance to get in. But I also think they set them up to have next to no chance. And let me go through all the scenarios. Now, Texas A&M still has to play Auburn, and that's a potentially losable game for them. But let's just say for argument's sake that Texas A&M finishes off with the one loss. They will not play in the SEC championship game because that one loss came to Alabama and they're already ahead of UC. So they sit there with the one loss. Florida has a chance to get in with a win over Alabama. If not, okay, they do get knocked backwards and that's fine. But Alabama then is definitively in. And I think even if Florida beats Alabama, Alabama is definitively in. I think you're going to get Notre Dame, Clemson, at least one of those two are already in. Then the other one for me that really hurts is putting Northwestern. And I like Northwestern. I like what they've done. I'm happy for their program. I've always thought Pat Fitzgerald does, does things the right way as a coach. Um, he's done great things at Northwestern. I mean, they've had some pockets of success, but he's had a 15-year run of just seven, eight win consistent teams. And you just don't do that at a place like Northwestern. And now he's got a special group and he got a little lucky getting Peyton Ramsey in there as a transfer. And I do think they're really good. But here's what they've done. Putting Northwestern behind UC does this. If Northwestern runs the table, they will play Ohio State, likely undefeated Ohio State. I don't think they're, they're going to get beat by certainly Illinois, nor Michigan State, nor Michigan to end out the season. So undefeated Ohio State versus undefeated Northwestern. And if there's one spot up for grabs, winner take all in the, in the Big Ten championship game. And that still leaves UC on the outside looking in. Now, some other things can happen where Northwestern maybe loses a game before the end of the year and goes and beats Ohio State. You know, AM loses to Auburn. Florida loses to Bama. Uh, Notre Dame beats Clemson for a second time. But that's a lot of ifs to get them in. Um, uh, look, it, it's nice to see them that high already. I just think they've surrounded them in front and behind with chances to make this being almost – uh, slim and none and slim just walked out the door and that i mean and we kind of know that going in that's just the way the yeah. system's been rigged yeah. like even if uc was ranked like fifth you're still yeah. looking at probably the same issues in terms of the teams right around them uh being able to either pass them up or not have to move down because of the way it sets up and and to be quite honest with you if they're only trying to get the best football teams in I'm okay with saying UC is not one of the best four. No, to be honest I'm, with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to like hearing that. But I think the problem I have with it is it doesn't seem like it's really based on merit and what you do. And it doesn't seem like there there's any real way for a team like UC to prove itself outside of scheduling a schedule that none of the power conferences would let you schedule. I mean, they won't sign up to play you enough games that you could, you know, you could put together an impressive enough schedule for it to look like you played in the big 10 or the sec, you know, I mean, that just won't happen. Yeah. You, you know what, you know, what was really unfortunate for UC this year, Rick. I mean, really unfortunate. The Nebraska game getting canceled. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it was a killer. Yep. Um, I, do you think it's the difference if they have that win on their resume? I don't know that it really matters. It would have needed to be a somewhat impressive win, something along yeah, domination. the lines of what Ohio State did to Nebraska to put a little apples to apples. And again, you can, you know, this, you can't always compare scores. I mean, five weeks difference can make a whole difference in a team from a health perspective, uh, uh, getting things right perspective or tanking the other way perspective. So I'm, I'm going to give people that part of the argument. So you can't always compare it, but at least it would have given you some baseline to look at. I think that's the problem with this year. And that's why I keep saying, I, I'm just stunned. They don't go to eight with the five, 
power fives in and three at larges is you don't have a real baseline outside of your league to compare to. You just have what they've done in the league. And I, I think that makes it really, it makes it a slippery slope and really difficult to, to gauge. I mean, so Notre Dame and Clemson are going to benefit from each other by Notre Dame playing Clemson without Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence is, or Clemson is going to benefit by playing Notre Dame a second time with Trevor Lawrence. That makes no sense to me. Right. And I'm, but I mean, both of those teams are clearly better than you see in my No, opinion. they're not. Like, no, Notre Dame is not, in my opinion. They are yeah. not. I think they are, but I'd like to, but I'd like to see it. I'd like for there to be a chance. All right, hear I mean, I'd this like out. to figure it out. Somebody asked me this and, and they they were obviously they, they did not like my, my take on UC getting hosed to some degree. And they said, well, what, 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 what would you set lines at? So here's what I'd set the lines at. I'd set Alabama's a 20 point favorite over UC. I'd set Notre Dame is only a five point favorite over UC. Mm. I'd set Clemson with Trevor Lawrence at 14. I'd set Ohio State at only five. And I know somebody clapped back at me and said, well, big reversal in one year from last. And I said, yep. I said, but also last year, Indiana lost to Ohio State 51 to 10. And that was an Ohio State defense that had Jeff Okuda and Chase Young. That ain't the same Ohio State defense. And you saw what Michael Penix did to him. So I think, yes, UC could reverse that 42 nothing in a heartbeat in one year. Indiana just did it. They just showed it to us last Saturday. Did they not? Yeah, I mean, they still lost the game, by the way. By right, by a touchdown, touchdowns. though. Big difference. Or, yeah, by a touchdown, to, true. Yeah, but, but 51 to 10 to 42-35 is a huge difference. There is. Uh, I mean, but they I mean, they weren't. No, I know. I, they, but, they were within striking distance, but it was never really, like, threatened, I would say, in uh, terms of the end if they don't, If they don't turn it over a few times in key spots, I think they win the football game. I mean, Dude, yeah, they had their chances. 50. They had their chances. They were in striking distance. I'll give All them right, that. So, so but, I set the line there at five. I set Florida as a five-point favorite because Florida's defense is trash. And I think UC, if I had said it today, I'd make UC a four-point favorite over AM. Well, the, and and see, that's the funny thing about it when you look at like the rankings. That's I would have had UC in front of AM if we're talking about like best football teams. I would have Florida. I think Florida's better than UC. Um, but I but at the same time, when you're in this season with as little sample size to go off of as ever, how do you not? give credence to head to head results with the AM win over Florida. I, you know what right. I mean? Like right. that is a, that is one where it's like, I don't know what you do with that because I would have probably ranked it the the top four in some order, Florida, UC, at, you know, in that, like in five and six. And, and then and yet you make the point of, yeah. And yet you make the point of AM beat Florida head to head. Right. So you can't do it. I mean, you just can't do that. If, if you're, you know, trying to do anything that, that makes sense. And, uh, it's a tough. It's a tough year to do the rankings. I didn't have a huge problem with UC ending up at number seven. And and to be quite honest, after they took that knee on that touchdown and didn't just score to go up by two possessions and cover the spread, I kind of felt that they deserved it. Like they're kind of on my <laughs> list at that point. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a, that's a bitter gambling moment. I get it, but uh, that's a bad beat for sure. I will say though that, that to me. I think at that point you go for the style points uh, and I know yes, that, that of course, and it's not even style points. It's that it's just smart. Like right. people are doing way too much math. They're trying way too hard. Yes. They yes. More opportunities to lose that game by almost fumbling a fourth down snap. Like that's they right. Did, and leaving a second on the clock to let an, the offense run a play that could have gone for a 99 yard touchdown. However slim that may be, it's still a better chance than them scoring two times right. and 20 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever it would have been like just score the touchdown and go up by, by 10. Right. No, that, that, and that's the thing. If, if it's one thing, if you're up seven kicking for eight or up six kicking for seven, whatever, if you'd gone in, however it would have worked, that's one time to take a knee to end the game. But in this circumstance, just punch it in and be done with it. Two scores is going to be almost impossible to overcome. And no offense. If your defense is as good as we think UC's defense is, 
and you give up two scores in 52 seconds with no timeouts, then by God, you deserve to lose. Yeah, I mean, it just isn't going to happen. So I thought that was ridiculous. It was dumb. I can't believe. And the, the issue with it, the reason it keeps happening is because people keep celebrating how unselfish it, it is in the, in, in the media. I, Every time, like when Nick Chubb steps out of bounds, people are like, oh, man, what a selfless guy. Some college guys hear it. They want that publicity on social media. So they do stupid things like well, that. I or think there are, I, just tell them to. I mean, I think there are oh. times it's a smart football play to make. There are. But there are times when it just makes absolutely no sense. And this was one of them. Yeah, they're not they're not nearly as good at math as they think they are. I'll just say, well, that. I did like I don't know if you, did you see my guy with the glasses and the thick binder who was looking through all his charts. Yeah, you got to have one of those guys. What, what That's is, your what, Madden what, guy. What is his rule? What, 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 what are That's you? That's Madden you, guy. Honestly, I would tell him, go burn that freaking book and turn your turn your stuff in and go get a job with some some numbers. Go go be an accountant somewhere, Junior. No, that is an IT guy. If I've ever seen one. No question. That is a company IT guy. Coach, did you reboot? I sure did. I'm going to reboot your ass out the door. Take your charts with you. <laughs> Bengals quarterback Brandon Allen will take over for the injured Joe we Burrow think, as the we team think. starter, according to multiple reports this week. Not according Allen, to Zach Taylor, who has spent the entire season on the practice squad, will be taking his four, will be making his fourth career NFL start on Sunday against New York Giants. The other three starts came with the Denver Broncos last season. Allen will be replacing second-year quarterback Ryan Finley, who went three for ten for thirty yards against Washington. Skinny, do you think the Brandon Allen experiment will be better or worse than Ryan Finley? It can't be worse. Alex, it, it really can't. Alex Erickson might be better than Ryan Finley. Honestly, I, I don't I mean, doubt that. I mean, I, I, I think this is such a, a and again, this is not official yet because Zach's trying to play the game of boy giants. I'm going to keep you guessing. Is it my one bad quarterback or my worst bad quarterback? Yeah, you guys that, take, good luck guessing on that. Amazing tactical move by boy wonder genius there. Yeah, well, we're going to th- honestly, we, we may know after the podcast, we're, we usually talk to Zach for a few minutes on Friday after practice. And I would hope that by now he will name his starting quarterback. I mean, does it matter? It doesn't. I, I, I hope he doesn't. I hope no yeah. leaks get out. It's, it's super important. To <laughs> it wouldn't, and wouldn't it be great, though, if Alex Erickson did take coming in a wildcat and took the first snap just because I, I think that would be fabulous, actually. Hell, just play um, the whole game with Geo taking wildcat snaps. Well, if he can play, he's dealing with the concussion, although it's right. been upgraded a little bit. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, I think it's more of a this is this will tell you all they think of of, of Ryan, Ryan Finley, Finley. At, this, at this point if if you're getting a guy off the practice squad I know it's the whole he's familiar with the system because he was with the Rams for the two years Zach was there and all that that's all well and good the guy's barely taking any snaps whatsoever he literally is on this rush you know they sequester him from the other quarterbacks during practice just in case of COVID they're trying to keep at least make sure you got one guy you can get the Sunday with that's how kind of little they've thought of this cat of just Nothing. leave him out, off to the side don't don't even talk to him don't breathe on him in case we need him to play and yet then he's going to be the one taking taking first team snaps on Sunday that just tells me all you need to know about the Ryan Finley era nothing and, and I the thing I don't get Rick is how did I see this in the first mini camp practice I'm just gonna say nothing like naming bubble boy your starter you yeah know? right exactly <laughs> bubble it's boy exactly. there on the sideline that's there for COVID protocol reasons is now the starter for the Cincinnati Bengals and that's the crazy thing to me Skinny is that the Bengals tried intentionally to draft Ryan Finley yes early on in a draft and you within Five seconds of watching the cat play. We're like, nope, can't do it. That guy can't play at all. No chance, no shot. And you were 100% right. It's like, how can you possibly have that happen? The Bengal scouting department is the worst. And the worst part was the day that that happened, it was it was a little windy and it was wet and it was his first day throwing. And so I actually, I went up to him. I wanted to be fair because I kept tweeting that day of how bad he looked. I thought, well, I need to be fair. Maybe 
Maybe he's coming <laughs> off throwing a bunch on the side. And I get it. it was the first of May and maybe he was throwing for the combine or maybe he was throwing in between then and the draft and tweak something. And maybe it was wet, maybe the wind. So I was trying to give him every out and he was a jackass to me and all of his answers. And I walked out of there. And I remember Butch Hobson was standing behind me. I go, this guy's a douche. He goes, what? <laughs> I go, good luck talking to him. So he goes in, he comes back and Butch is the nicest guy going. He goes, man, he's a strange cat. I go, you think? I said, I was trying to give him some outs and I get, you don't want to make an excuse for yourself, but he kept looking at me like, are you an idiot? Like I was throwing the ball fine. No, bro, you weren't. I watched it with my own two <laughs> eyes and I'm trying to help you here. That's just unbelievable. It Ryan really is. Draft pick. Aye, aye, aye. I mean, the Bengals se- season has become rather meaningless since last Sunday. The team is out of the playoff hunt. Now fans won't even get to watch the development of Joe Burrow. What should be the goal for Zach Taylor and the Bengals the rest of the season? And is there anything worth watching still if you're a fan, in your opinion? Um, honestly, and I wish I could say yes, because my job hinges on it to some degree, right? I, I can't. I, I I talked to another colleague after the game Sunday. I said, dude, what are we going to do for the next six weeks? He goes, honestly, go find another sport to cover. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to care. No, right now, dude, anything that I've written over the past week, even if it's just minute news, the, the pitchforks come out for Zach Taylor. I mean, it's it's been it's just, you know, how the week's been. It's been a crazy week. And so no matter what you write, it's this, you know, it's it's all I want to kill Zach Taylor. OK, that's fine. I mean, I've got a job to do. You don't have to read it. That, that doesn't bother me. I'm going to still do my job. But I, I honestly, Rick, I can't tell you one thing, I guess. I want to see Jonah Williams evolve. I want to see if Adenogy gets another chance at right tackle, if he evolves. But that's, I mean, for the average fan and for myself, even, I'm not going to focus on line play. I mean, it's not fun to focus on. It's not very sexy to focus on. Usually you're focused on them when they're getting their doors blown off. I mean, no, I, I can't honestly think of one thing that's very compelling to watch about this football team. I guess the thing is, it's, Will the players still compete at a high enough level to where it's it's not noticeable if they don't? Because if they don't, I think at that point, that's when Zach Taylor loses his job. I think these final six games, because because obviously we've got the whole story of some guys in the locker room are unhappy. Guys on the record keep saying they support Zach Taylor. Gio Bernard's a captain, and he went to bat vociferously for him the other day. Um, okay, those of you that are going to bat, then let me see you play hard and maybe play make enough plays to win this guy a game or two and maybe save his job. I think that's going to show up over the last six games. I think it's going to show up rather, rather starkly, to be honest with you. I think you're gonna be able to clearly tell if guys are out. What do you make of that whole situation? Obviously, uh, at least Jesse, a former reporter in town who, who now is in Connecticut wrote a, a story it had unnamed sources in it, citing that there's dysfunction in the locker room. Uh, you know, the coaches are cussing guys out and, and guys, you know, don't like their motivation tactics, things of that nature. Um, it kind of shook everybody up in town this week. Everyone's arguing online, getting mad about it and, and talking about it. What was kind of your whole take on the situation overall? And do you think there's merit to the dysfunction in the locker room or not? I don't think there's merit to the dysfunction in the locker room. Do I think there's some unhappy players? Absolutely. There are. And one of them plays in Seattle. Um, so you think that, her talking to Carlos Dunlap that he's going to think, sing praises of this coaching staff. Of course he's not. They, they took his role away from him and he pouted about it and pouted his way out of town. Are there a couple of other players in that locker room who aren't playing, playing major roles who want to do more and are mad about it? Yes. And we've seen some of them take to social media. I don't know if these guys were officially quoted in the story, but we've seen Darius Phillips be mad that he's not back there returning punts. Now, obviously he's hurt at the moment, so he can't play. We've seen John Ross, obviously very mad publicly. Are there a couple of others? Yeah. Is Sean Williams maybe one of them? I can't say for sure, but I get if Sean's mad, he's a captain and he barely plays. 
Billy Price started, lost his job to Trey Hopkins again. Is he mad? Maybe. Uh, so, sure. So I get that part of it. That doesn't mean there's complete dysfunction in the locker room. That means there's a handful of guys grumbling and grousing. And I get that. And I think Gio put it right. He said, you know, if there aren't some guys pissed off about their roles, then then I got a problem with that. So I look, I, I think it becomes a big deal because you've won two football games. I think if you went into Kansas City's locker room, you might find two guys going, this sucks, man. I used to get five touches a game and now he don't even throw the ball to me anymore. Yeah, shut up, chief. You're nine and one. I mean, honestly, be quiet. Go back in your yeah. corner. But when you're two, seven and one, you go, huh, must be a lot of guys mad. No, I think there are some guys mad. I, I, I will say this. I, I think the story was weak in theory because I think you can always get the grumblers off the record to say stuff. I don't think she misquoted anybody. I don't think she took anything out of context. I don't think she did it. I do think she has a clear cut agenda and I'm not going to tell you what that agenda is, but I think there's a clear cut agenda. She is not like Zach Taylor from day one. And, and it's been pretty clear and that's okay. You write from the agenda perspective of it, but then she also got mad when, when, uh, our Gary Miller asked Gio on the zoom, you know, about the locker room culture and Gio asked, answered point blank. She got mad that Gio got put on the spot. Well, sister, what do you think was going to happen? If we, if we'd have been in the locker room at that point, we'd have walked up to players and asked that question. And I think that's the part here too, is with the locker room, not being open, we can't see if it's dysfunctional or not. Look, a handful of guys grumbling. Does that mean all 65 are unhappy? No. And in fact, I would probably bet Rick, there are 10 to 15 to 20 guys that are unhappy. But I don't think that means it's a dysfunctional locker room. I don't. And so I'm going to take some of the guys on the record at, at their word, and I'm going to hold them accountable for their word. And I think really, if you want to cut to the chase, you know whose only opinion freaking matters. And it ain't Mike Brown's. Number nine. If number nine goes upstairs and goes, keep him, you're going to keep him. If number nine goes upstairs and goes, I can't play for this guy. Guess what? See ya. Better yet, he shouldn't even have to do that. They, they no, should agreed. be right now consulting him or his agent or whoever it is that, that they agreed. need to talk to to say, what does Joe want? What does Joe want here? What's yes. going to work out best? Now, they should be the adults in the room. They should be doing their own research. They should have guys that they need his input. But you sure as hell better make sure he is on board with it and he yes. likes it and he's yes. conf confident and comfortable with it because that is your ticket out. That is the only chance this organization has is riding number nine's coattails, at least out of the basement of the NFL. I don't know if they'll ever get to where we think Joe Burrow can take them, but just out of the basement would be nice. And, you know, going back to the whole dysfunctional locker room, I like here's my only issue that we have here in town is every, everyone wants to just like dismiss the, the story because they don't like it. They don't like the way it was reported or whatever. Or they think there's more to the story, which I agree with. But at the same time, we have clearly seen issues with this locker room. I clearly no think doubt. guys don't respect the head coach and, and it may not be everyone, but there are clearly a group of guys who don't. And well, if you need, Rick, Rick, if you but need but any but more evidence, just look at the number of guys who get a boo-boo and then sit out the rest of the year because they ain't going to risk get, not getting paid. But, but I've also made this point, and I think the dysfunction still comes in between the head coach and the front office, and it still goes back to the front office. And Probably. Listen, when, you come in as, when you come in as a coach, and this happens in college basketball and college football, right? Coaches come in, and they look around, and they go, I got to run this guy off, and I got to run that guy off. And maybe it's a pretty good player, but you just got to run him off for whatever reason, right? You just don't want him in your system. He doesn't fit. He's a pain in the ass. He's, a, he's just a malcontent, whatever. And it happens. You know guys get run off. Yep. And so I, I think, and I think I've told you this, I think Zach and the coaching staff had a couple of guys in mind. They wanted to run off. And when you go to the people above and you go, Hey, I need this guy gone and this guy gone, it's not going to work for the culture I'm trying to build. 
And it took them probably too long to get rid of one of those guys in Carlos Dunlap. Um, that finally it came to push, came to shove, and they said, okay, you're right, let's get rid of him. And at that point, that's where you, unfortunately, as the front office, you don't allow that head coach to establish the culture he wants. You let some of this crap fester, and then it comes back and looks bad on the head coach when really the head coach has wanted to set his own tone. And I think that's the part of it. If he doesn't like certain guys as players for whatever reason, let him make those decisions. And that's where the, that's to me is where the dysfunction comes in. I don't think this is an indictment on Zach Taylor. I think it's more of an indictment again on the franchise, not knowing how to run a football team. Well, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I think you are 100% right about that, but I, I mean, I do, I don't understand why people are quick to defend Zach Taylor right now. Like there is no reason to me that this guy is I think it's a competent and, coach or a guy who's right, respected. But, but Rick, I think it's apples and oranges though. I think the story is the dysfunctional locker room. That's one part of it. The other part of it is, is Zach Taylor a competent head coach? I will tell you, I don't believe it is a dysfunctional locker room. I don't believe but, that's the case, but I also don't believe he's a great head coach either and probably should not come back. So but there's I'm, two I'm, arguments part, there. I don't think one leads to the part. Other. Well, I, I think they're, they're somewhat intertwined though, because I think part of the, the thing of him not being a head coach is that like, I, I do believe there is at least a part of this locker room who has zero respect for him and doesn't think he's like, an actual head coach or a leader. He deserves to be there. I think that's a real thing. Cause quite honestly, I think at least half the fan base feels that way. And they're probably right. He probably does not deserve to be there. So I, I get some of the other stuff and here's, here's the other issues I have. Like we all pointed out when they hired Jim Turner, what the hell are you doing? And now it's coming out that players feel the coaching staff's being abusive and they may be being soft. This may be some new era of BS that no one wants to hear. And that's fine. Maybe that's the case, but you also set yourself up to not be believed as the organization when you brought Jim Turner in. No, that's fair. Yeah, so that's like, fair. I'm going to, I'm going to take these people at their word, even if they're unnamed sources. And that's the last thing I'll say about this is everyone's throwing their arms up about unnamed sources. Let me tell you, uh, there's, I would say about 80% or 90% of the journalism worth reading comes from unnamed sources. Okay. There's not a lot of interesting things said on the record, especially when we're talking about sports, we're talking about players who are worried about playing time. So if you're worried about people using unnamed sources, you're never going to hear anything interesting about sports. I'll just tell you that right now. No, and and that's right. But at the same time, don't get mad when we go ask people the question of, is this true? And they answered in a different way. And I get it. You're right. I think, I think a big part of using unnamed sources is you also have to be there to show up to answer for it, right? Like I I use unnamed sources for everything I do at Xavier, basically, because no one says anything interesting around a college basketball program on the record. However, I'm also there every day. And if, you know, someone had a problem with what I said that was from an unnamed source, I'd have to answer for it and I'd be willing to do so. So I think that's, you know, there is part of that there, but at the same time, look, the Bengals have thrown Elise out of the media room. Like they won't credential her at this point or let her into the stuff. So, I mean, I don't know what she's supposed to do at the, that, that point at, at the same time. So in my point opinion, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There's a lot of layers to that story. And uh, I think people are, are getting over their skis and, and looking dumb in arguments because they're mad about stuff. You know, I mean, it's like, there's, everyone's got a little bit of truth to what they're doing right now. I mean, honestly, when I, and I'll be honest, when I saw the story, I shrugged my shoulders and went, yeah, there's a few disgruntled guys. Exactly. I get it. Okay. Exactly. I I think, I think that's right. I think you, you have it pretty much nailed is that there's a, there's a segment and it may be a small segment of the locker room that's going through some of this stuff. And that's what the story is. Right. Right. Yeah. All right, that brings us to our betting segment where we had another dark week last week. We were both six and eight. We actually ended up with a lot of the same picks and then the other ones that we were opposite on, we just split. So um, I am now 54, 71 and three, not good. You are 63, 61 and three. So still hovering above 500. 
uh, the we don't have any Thursday night games because we're already past that. So we and, 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 and let me just tell you something. Thank God we didn't do this podcast on Thursday or Wednesday <laughs> morning because I would have I would have lost the Lions game and I certainly would. I was all in on the Cowboys on our pick sheet, Rick. I was a mess. Oh, that's not good. So we'll start on Saturday at noon with the Kentucky Florida game. Florida is a twenty five and a half point favorite. The total is sixty one in the hook. It's open at 23, so it's going up, and it might yep. close at 28 when all said and done. I think it's going to keep going up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking one more swing with Kentucky. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's my heart. They have a bunch of guys still out with COVID. Um, it was so weird. I mean, I, I, I was all excited watching that game on Saturday, and they go to the second quarter, and they're down 7-3, to three, and they're inside the Bama 10-yard line, and I'm thinking, man, score here and go up 10-7 and maybe get a stop against good old Mac Jones, and then – run the football because they were running it pretty well in the first quarter. And I thought maybe control this game a little bit and they're getting 30 and I'm feeling good. Um, I, I could have gotten um, 60 and I would have only gotten a push out of that game, Rick, and it didn't work out so good. Um, I can't tell if Florida took Vandy for granted or if Florida just is that team that just plays down to the competition. At I times. think, I think there's a lot of that. Um, yeah, when they want to turn it on, Kyle Trask is really good, but it almost feels like they're trying to be really cutesy in what they're doing and hit the home run a lot of times, and they don't always hit the home run. And, and Kentucky's secondary has been pretty good. They got absolutely no pass rush on Mac Jones, and that kind of gave him plenty of time to stand back there and pick Kentucky apart. And then I think the whole second half as it evolved. I mean, it was 28-3, to three and they had gotten two stops to start the second half, and then stupid Terry Wilson throws an awful pick six because their offense is played in the span of about a five-yard zone because Eddie Grant's a freaking idiot. Um, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a swing with Kentucky to cover this number. I'm going to go Florida – Fuller 38, Kentucky 21. So what, what, what's the total? It was uh, 61 and a half. So Kentucky in the under for me. Okay, so what was your, what was your uh, score there? 38-21, Florida. 38-21, Florida. So Florida or Kentucky I like Eddie, in the I, I, I like Eddie Grand running all slants from five yards so to make sure nobody has to you know cover anybody over the top so everybody just jumped the damn route. Idiot. Well, as I've said, I am I have no idea what to do with the UK this year. I've been wrong every step of the way. I didn't actually bet them last week. And of course, last week I was right about the game for the first time. Uh, Alabama did cruise. The funny part about that was everyone, including both of us, thought the play in that game was the under. And right. Alabama went and got the total right. by themselves. Yes, yes, by themselves. <laughs> so um, that that was typical UK this year. The only thing I'll say about this game is Florida is legitimately in the hunt for the college football playoff right now. UK season is meaningless at this point. Yep. yep. I think Florida covers that number just for that reason alone. I'm going Florida 45, UK 13. So that's Florida and it stays under at uh, 58. So that brings us to also a noon game on Saturday. We've got Ohio State at Illinois. The Buckeyes are a 28 point favorite and the total on that one is 71, 71 and a half. And it totals pretty high. And it obviously is high. It's, it's part of it's because, in theory, Illinois is trash. But, I mean, Illinois started off with three straight losses, got their doors blown off by Wisconsin, lost a tough one to Purdue, got their doors blown off by Minnesota, and then go and beat Rutgers at Rutgers and go and beat and trash Nebraska at Nebraska. Now, granted, Rutgers yeah, and Nebraska right. aren't great, but that's yeah. a pretty nice little comeback coming into this game. And I just don't like this Ohio State defense. They're scoring whatever they feel like. I'm going to go Buckeyes 48-24. Is it 71 is the total? 71 and a half 48 24 Ohio state. So Illinois gets the cover and it gets over. All right. So you're going over the big 71 and a half. I agree with you on that one. I mean, honestly with Ohio state games, it's just impossible to play an under for me. I, especially this year, you don't feel good need, about it. Well, they need the points this year too, because that defense keeps giving them up as well. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go Ohio State 55, Illinois 17. I'm not buying Illinois' little resurgence here of the last few weeks. I think they're more like the team we saw early in the year that that sucked. I don't think they're very good. And Ohio State needs to play well. Like, I mean, I think they, you know, probably had a tough week of practice and feel like they didn't they didn't do very well last week. So I'm going to go OSU and the over here. Saturday at one, we've got Miami at Akron. Akron not as bad as everyone thought coming they're into trash. the year. Miami, a 14-point favorite, 55-and-a-half is the total. Dude, Akron got beat by Kent State 69-35 in their most – they're they're garbage. I think uh, I think this is a get-right game for Miami. I think Buffalo is really, really good, and Buffalo is clearly better than Miami, and that's why Miami got their doors blown off in that game. I think Miami goes up to, to Akron and walks away very pleased with a 49-20 easy victory. Night-night, Akron. I am disagreeing with you here. I think Miami will be up in this game. I think they'll win this easily. But I think this is a little uh, backdoor cover potential. I think they win by more than a touchdown, but they don't get the 14. I'm going to go Miami 34, Akron 24. So that's Akron covering and the over. And that brings us to back to the NFL Sunday at 1 p.m. We've got the Giants coming to Cincinnati. The Giants are six-point favorite. The total is 44. Hey, you're going to laugh. I think the Bengals went outright. I do. Um, I think the Giants are, yep. I think the Giants are trash. I think the Bengals got shell shocked in that second half when Burrow, that defense played really well in the first half, Rick. Um, and they probably should have scored 17 to 20 points. They left a bunch of points on the board. And I know that's because Burrow was the quarterback and he marched them down the field. I think this Giants team is garbage. I think the NFC East is garbage. Um, I think the Bengals get the outright win. I'm going to go Bengals 20 to 17. Bengals under. I mean, it's going to be ugly football. I, ugly I really don't know what to football. say about that. Ugly football. Yeah, I, I can't see that in any way, shape, or form. I'm going Giants 28, Bengals 13, so I'm going Giants in the under. I do agree with the under, but I, in I fact, just see in no fact, way, money, shape, or form the Bengals win this game. Bengals are going to be part of my three-team money line parlay for this week, Rick. Oh, my God, though. I, I'm not following you on that. I might have to uh, bet against you here. Sunday, 8.20 p.m., we've got the Bears in Green Bay. The Packers are a nine-point favorite, and the total is 44 in the hook. Bears don't even know if they're going to bring Sid Luckman out of retirement to quarterback or not. I mean, it appears it's going to be Trubisky and it doesn't make any difference. They do get David Montgomery back. Um, but I, I think, I think green Bay just boat races them here. I, I think this is the Aaron Rodgers in prime time, just showing the rest of the world that I ain't done yet. And here we're going to be eight and three after this game. And you better watch out for us. I'm going to go, even though the bears defense is good. I still think the Packers roll up some points. I'm going to go pack 31 14. So green Bay and barely the over for me. I'm not going to lie. This is probably an emotional pick because the Packers were one of the many teams that screwed me last weekend. I'm going to say the bears get a cover here. A little backdoor action. Packers will be up by 10 late in the game. 27, 17 bears scored the late touchdown because the Packers defense is trash and 27, 24 is the final Packer pack. Uh, that's uh bears and the over there. So finally Monday night, eight 15, we've got Seahawks in Philly, the Eagles, or I mean, the Seahawks, rather, are a five-point favorite. The total is 50 in that one. Eagles can cl- reclaim first place by a half a game if they, <laughs> if they win this game. Uh, I don't think they stupid. do. This has, shutout, this has shootout written all over it. Uh, the 50-point total seems extraordinarily low unless the weather comes in. Uh, I'm going to go Seahawks 38, Eagles 34. So Seattle and the over, or excuse me, the Eagles to cover and the over for me. Seattle with the outright win, though. I'm going opposite here, and the I actually agree with what you said for the most part. 
And I'm always wrong about the NFL. So I'm kind of like fading myself again on this play. I'm thinking that that five point line is kind of a sucker's line. They want us to think this game's going to be close. I think the Seahawks blow them out. Uh, 31 17 is what I'm going with. I'm going to go Seahawks in the under. All right. Uh, that brings us to our pick of the week. Skinny, do you do you have a uh, teaser I, for us I, or what do you nope. have? I'm going to go with a three team money line parlay. All underdogs. The Bengals the Falcons and the Patriots all home underdogs this week. Yeah. You could maybe tease them up and do that differently, but I'm going to go for some value here. Three team money line parlay with three underdogs Falcons to beat the Raiders outright Patriots to beat the Cardinals and sore arm Kyler Murray outright and the Bengals to win outright at home over the woeful giants. All right. I like that. Um, I'm going to go college like always, and I'm going with a teaser three teamer. We're going to go Notre Dame. They're a five and a half point favorite right now in Indiana at the uh, Hollywood Casino. I'm going to take that down to uh, this is five a f- underdog. This is 16. For teaser. those that are knowing, if you're getting, if you're listening to this like around 1230 today, you better hustle because it's a 330 Friday kickoff start. That's right. It's Notre Dame at North Carolina. Um, the other game I'm going to add on to that one is Florida and Kentucky. I'm going to take Florida down to 19 and a half. So get them under uh, underneath the 24 and the 21 key numbers there. Yep. And then I'm also going to add Ohio state at Illinois into that. We're going to take Ohio state down to 22. So at least you get it down 28 and 24, a couple key numbers there. Um, All those games I feel pretty good about at their normal spread, take them down six points. I feel even better. So that's, that's it. It's Ohio state. It's Florida and it is Notre Dame. All right, there we go. All right. And we've got a quick little segment. I didn't ask until a few minutes before we started this podcast. It looks like there's only a couple here on Twitter. So we'll have a quick segment here of Ask Skinny Anything. And it starts with a sports-related question. Please have Santa Skinny give each local team a gift that will help the the trajectory of their franchise. All right, so so how how many local teams am I doing here? Rick? I, I would assume the professional is what they're talking about. So you're going right. FCC, you're going Bengals, and you're going Reds, right? All right, for for FCC, I want to give them a, a total of ten goals for next year. I think that's a fair amount. Can, can FCC score how many ten do, goals? How many do they play in a season? How many games are they normally like, going to play? Like twenty five. Tens a fair tens a fair number, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, as long as they're in the second half, because I just want to bet all the first half unders again, because that was unbelievable. All right, so so I'm going to go with 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 that um, for you for the Reds. I'm going to go with somehow you find a pot of gold that allows you to re-sign Trevor Bauer. That would be and, nice. Yep. And for the Bengals, that somehow they get into Joe Burrow's knee, and all they find out is there's a couple of bone chips loose, and he's back by opening day. <laughs> what about uh, a competent? ownership group something along yeah. those lines change that, the trajectory santa, santa can't do everything that's a big ass thanks yeah, he's not that, jesus he's that's, santa that's why we're little johnny on the lap goes i want my own motorcycle and you go okay son we'll get you a tricycle have a good day and you shove him down the chute and there he goes enjoy your big wheel kid yep ex- exactly enjoy your big wheel kid <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a big ask for me there i like the question though all right um what is better light meat dark meat or turkey sandwiches the day after turkey sandwiches the day after with with the light meat with just a nice little bit of miracle whip believe yeah, it or not exactly right that's how i and, do it and, too and some pepper you got to sprinkle some pepper on there yep. just for a little just for a little tang maybe if you're if you want maybe a little small hunk of lettuce but i don't want to destroy the flavor of the turkey 
you nailed it. I couldn't say it any better. All That's right. exactly how I'm going to do it as soon as we get done with this podcast. And a little leftover stuffing as well. Suck yeah, it, Yeah, there Brendel. you go. Yeah, there you go. Suck yeah. it, Brendel. There we yeah. go. In the spirit of Black Friday, what's the worst purchase your wife or significant other has ever brought home? Pregnancy um, test? <laughs> no, thank, thank, thank goodness that's not the case. Um, no, I, you know what's funny? They, they, they're not big Black Friday shoppers either. Our, our family kind of stays away oh. from all that crap. Yeah. Wow, you really brainwashed them. Yeah, no, they, my, my wife over the years when the kids were in the house, she was always really good at as the year was progressing when she'd be out maybe running errands or maybe shopping for whatever, she'd find something for the kids that she liked. So she was kind of buying throughout the year. So where she didn't have to rush to get everything at the last moment. I wish that was, that was pretty smart. Now we had to hide the living crap out of that stuff to keep it away from the nosy bodies. Um, but we had a couple of good hiding places they could never find, but she was always pretty good about that kind of stuff. Well, and, and, and in fairness, he, he didn't technically say this had to be purchased on black Friday. He said in the spirit of black Friday. So like, is there another purchase that was ever, you had to shake your head at when your wife came home or she lied to you about, and then you saw the credit card statement or something like that. Any, any of those? Yeah. Types no, of- yeah I, 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 yes. Cause I'm not the shopper the, or the, or the bill, bill, uh, bill payer in the family. So no, nothing. Oh, so you just sh- have no idea where the money's mind. going. Yeah. That's it's, correct. It's coming as in and I, coming out I mean, before ask, you even know. That's right. As long as I as I get my twenty five bucks when I want to go to the bar, that's fine. I'm good. Just leave me alone. Give me my money when I need my money, and I'm done with it. Couple beer my retirement fund. It's my retirement fund. It's all I need, baby. That's all. I'm a simple man with simple needs. All right, that's actually all we got. It looks like so. Uh, that's, all right, that's the end. Good, good stuff. All right, I'm gonna go have some stuffing as well, Rick. I, you, you, you talked me in today after stuffing. Good stuff. Hey, for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week, midweek, with another skinny podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.